Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome. You have tuned in to Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And this is episode number 449, our short topics episode, the very first episode in which Bill is recording all the way from across the pond in Ireland. So we should go ahead and introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD, or, or should I say Echo India Stroke NE4RD, <laughs> something <laughs> like can, that. You can say whatever you like. So how, so how is Ireland? Are you, are you drunk all the time? <laughs> uh no that that would be nice though yeah that would be uh that'd be great no but it's it's really it's really nice we've had a few sunny days uh since we've been here um but uh yeah most time it's it's just cloudy and gray <laughs> but Aww. it's really green so it's really weird to see uh such green grass with no leaves on the trees uh, on the ones that obviously drop their leaves um so it is peculiar uh, because I just obviously get so much moisture here and everything else. But, uh, yeah, we're in uh, Cork, Ireland, and the, the, the town is really, really cool. They have just tons and tons of little shops everywhere and little restaurants and little, you know, cafes and stuff like that. And we're right across the street from the college, uh, which is also kind of cool because it lights up at night and you can see the cool historic buildings here and everything else. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really, really a lot of fun. Oh, good. That sounds great. And uh, I see that that in the next episode you're you're going to have a, a whisker review that's that's awesome <laughs> may, may <laughs> well, just we're for, gonna try yeah may just forego mine and let you do yours <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure mine won't be as good <laughs> uh, i wouldn't sell yourself short but anyway let's go ahead and get into it um because i know even though it's early for us now it's it's actually on the late side for you although i have seen that you you stay up kind of late over there you, you've been up after midnight quite a few times <laughs> Yes, yes, I, I, I pretty much am up to about midnight every night. Yeah. So yeah, so you're, I mean, it, I guess it's still early for you then. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for my normal, normal day. Yes. Right, right. Uh, so how's the work thing going? Are you dealing with the work schedule from over there? Or do you have to like be up really late, or are they accommodating you? Or. Yeah, I've been working. Uh, I've been working my normal work day, so that's why I'm up till midnight. But it works out really great for us because that means I don't start work until about two or three in the afternoon. So <laughs> we get like <laughs> yeah. basically uh, we do our running around uh, in the morning and you know get some get some exercise and then walking downtown and maybe grab some lunch and maybe a beer and then then come back to the uh, the apartment and and do some work. Oh, cool! I like it. Well, and it means you get to podcast from from all the way over there. I feel like yeah. we've become truly international now. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, let's go ahead and dive into our short topics. We always start with amateur radio topics, and uh, we'll let 
I'll let Bill talk from Ireland because I want to hear the the bits coming all the way across from over there. Let's <laughs> see how it goes. Very good. Yeah, this is uh, the 2021 results for the state QSO party challenge are in. Uh, I just mentioned this in the last episode, saying that you know we're going to see these uh, see these results, or maybe it was the episode before that, but we'll see. Anyway, uh, the results are here. Greetings, fellow SQ peers. Another state QSO party session has been a tremendous success. In its second season, one could only expect uh, the bloom to be off the rose for the state QSO party challenge. However, reported statistics continue to be high, and the introduction of Worked All QSO Parties Award brought new excitement to this fun niche of radio sports. Uh, highlights for the year of 2021 for the state QSO party challenge. They uh, We again topped a million, 1,165,355 QSOs that were reported to uh, the 3830 scores, which are the official record is being kept for this activity. Uh, an untold number more were made, obviously, but not reported. Uh, 2,064 operators submitted their reports to uh, 3830. And I'm just going to kind of blow through all these, but we have the link to the uh, to uh, the, the the results and everything else in the show notes, so you can check that out. Uh, let's see here. Uh, 71 Canadian contesters had qualified for it as well, so that's that's really cool. Um, and the Worked All QSO Parties Challenge, this one's kind of interesting. Although Working All State QSO Parties wasn't an initial component of the SQP Challenge during the 2020 season, it became the goal of many contesters. This year, we formalized the activity and created the Worked All QSO Parties Award. 26 ops have per perfect attendance at all 45 state QSO parties. Uh, qualifying them for a WAQP award. 11 more came close with over 40 SQPs. A total of 50 operators participated in over half of the state QSO parties. That's that's pretty amazing. So, uh, yeah, the stats over there in the report are pretty awesome. So uh, go take a look. And uh, I think the first set of QSO parties is coming up in a couple of weeks. So you can get started on your 2022 award. And maybe you can be part of this group next year. All right. Sounds good. Lots of people participating in state QSO parties, and hopefully some of them are doing it because we mentioned them. <laughs> and, and maybe not, but, you know, whatever. I suppose I should uh, do a QSO party here and again, if nothing else, even my own state, right? So so what are you going to do? Are you going to get into, like, any of those uh, contests, like all Ireland or anything like that? or? <laughs> Well, I don't have any HF gear with me, so probably not. I have my little handy talkie and and my little SDR dongle. So uh, <laughs> if I uh, if I decide to do something, it'll be uh, at the last moment, and it'll probably cost me uh, money to buy a radio, <laughs> <laughs> which I doubt you would look unfavorably upon. I'm sh I'm sure yeah. you could uh, squeeze yourself for for a new radio. <laughs> Yeah, the apartment living is not really conducive to uh, running a station from here. Like, I could do, like, a full portable thing or something like that, uh, which I was kind of planning to do. But, yeah, I don't know. It's still kind of – I'd have to be out in the country, I think. You know, this is – city is kind of densely populated, so it's uh, be, be too many questions. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on then. We have another story in amateur radio for tonight. We have two radio amateurs appointed to the FCC Technical Technological Advisory Council, or TAC, not to be confused with Cisco TAC, which well, I hate dealing with them. FCC Chairwoman Jessica Rosenworcel named two prominent radio amateurs among her appointments to the FCC Technological Advisory Council on January 19th. 
appointed were Greg Lapin, N9GL, and Michelle Thompson, W5NYV. Hmm. That, that call sign and name sound familiar for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Open Research Institute. <laughs> yeah. Lapin chairs the ARRL RF Safety Committee and has represented the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, on the TAC since 2001. The TAC serves to assist the FCC in identifying important areas of innovation and developing informed technologi- technology policies, not technological, although I guess both words work, that support U.S. competitiveness in the global economy. The TAC will consider the advice, the FCC, the advise, the advice. <laughs> it's, it's like I was going to read it through, but then the word threw me. The FCC on topics such as 6G, artificial intelligence, advanced spectrum sharing technologies, and emerging wireless technologies, including new tools to restore Internet access during shutdowns and other disruptions. The TAC will hold its first meeting of the year on February 28th. So there you go. And uh, congrats, I guess, to Michelle and to Greg for being appointed. And uh, hopefully good stuff ensues. Yeah, good news for Michelle Thompson just continuing to uh, be a be a force out there in the amateur radio community, and we're so glad <laughs> that she's also a great uh, candidate for open open source and and everything else that uh, that we enjoy as well. So uh, kudos. Yep, working with uh, OSI and ARDC and all the the good stuff that promotes amateur radio and open source. Awesome stuff. So Cheryl, are you at a point where you can read a story? The next story we have is, what if you could customize GNOME 41 in Ubuntu? 9to5Linux was recently made aware of a new project that lets you customize your Ubuntu desktop appearance to make it look and act just the way you wanted. It turns out a college student, frustrated by the limited customization options available on the latest Ubuntu Linux releases, and inspired by the settings offered by Linux hardware vendor System76 and their Ubuntu-based Pop! OS Linux distribution, created an alternative version of the Ubuntu GNOME Settings app with new features. He managed to modify GNOME Control Center and add in a new panel called Personalize, which includes four new pages that allow you to take full control over your Ubuntu desktop. These include general, appearance, dock, and multitasking. All of this is available for installation on the Ubuntu 21.10 uh, Impish injury release, and some are also available for Ubuntu 20.04 LTS Focal Fossa from the What If PPA maintain, Maintained excuse me, by Mug Tadir. And that information came from 9to5Linux. To the show notes, links the article, and uh, you can check out this. Uh, this is a PPA, so again, be buyer beware on the PPAs. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, this does replace your control center for... Uh, for uh, for GNOME, and uh, it looks pretty promising for adding additional features like moving the dock around and stuff like that quite uh, quite easily in GNOME 41. So uh, if you uh, if you want some customization, take a look at this. This looks pretty neat. So uh, let's see, which, which one of these do I want to read? I, I don't want to read the long one, so I'm going to read this one. So for our next open source topic, we have Linux malware uses or sees 35% growth during 2021. Oh, no, Linux malware. I didn't think there was such a thing. Well, we always knew there was such a thing. The number of malware infections targeting Linux devices rose by 35% in 2021, most commonly to recruit IoT devices for DDoS attacks. So all your little devices in your house that do stupid things are now being used to DDoS everybody. Great. 
I light she, bulb is uh, taking down Google. <laughs> take, taking down big oil. <laughs> right. uh, IOTs are typically underpowered smart devices running various Linux distributions and are limited to specific functionality. However, when their resources are combined into large groups, they can deliver massive DDoS attacks to even well-protected infrastructure. Besides DDoS, Linux IoT devices are recruited for, to mine cryptocurrency, so your light bulb is now making Bitcoin. <laughs> Facilitate spam email campaigns, serve as relays, act as command and control servers, or even act as entry points into corporate networks. A CrowdStrike report looking into the attack data from 2021 summarizes the following. In 2021, there was a 35% rise in malware targeting Linux systems compared to 2020. XOR, DDoS, Mirai, and Mosey were the most prevalent families, accounting for 22% of all Linux-targeting malware attacks observed in 2021. Mosey, in particular, had explosive growth in its activity, with 10 times more samples circulating in the wild than the year that passed compared to the previous one. XOR, DDoS also had a notable year-over-year increase of 123%. So your light bulbs are screwing with the Internet. (laughs) <laughs> or, or should I say, my light bulbs are screwing with the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah I actually have three it. now. I have three, no, four. I have four light bulbs now. Uh, we've got so, so many, it's ridiculous. But I haven't, I haven't set up the old, you know, hey Alexa, turn off the lights. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we we did all that. So, big yeah, fun. I haven't gone that far yet. Oh well, yeah, we we've been that way for years now. Anyway, this uh, story came from Bleeping Computer. And the link, of course, will be in the show notes. And I guess uh, in in when we get to well, we don't have have announcements in this episode. When we get to the next one, I'll I'll do the announcements about the the URL shortener. So oh yeah yeah for sure. Well, the next story is the last one in the open source segment, and it's uh, uh you know it's it's kind of an op ed, so we'll just take it as it is. Uh, for security alone, we could try paying open source projects properly. <laughs> it's been an interesting couple of weeks at the intersection of open source avenue and cybersecurity way. First with the situation around Log4j, and then this week, a uh, JavaScript developer had enough and went rogue. Uh, excuse me while I clutch this set of pearls very tightly as the term open source vulnerability is used, because where it seems government thinks there is a pressing cyber issue, it is more often one of finances, particularly as a one-person project creating under an open source license is great for when starting out and is barely noticed, and your user and fellow developers can make the software better. <laughs> Reading this from an angle. Uh, but when multinationals <laughs> and governments freeload from it, listen to that, freeload from Freeloaders. it. Freeloaders. Trigger, trigger word there. Freeload from it. I have a, some sympathy for a developer that decides supporting Fortune 500 companies for free is a bridge too far. While the methodology of injecting an infinite loop in Zalgo text might have been cooked, what decent-sized organization was pulling down and executing code without either inspecting it or running it in a test environment first? It sucks that a number of Node4j apps fell over, but thankfully it wasn't doing anything malicious. Affected organizations should be considering this as a free cyber and software supply chain checkup, rather than yelling even more at the developer that is done with being yelled at. Last week, the debate 
reached a point where it was labeled as a national security concern in the U.S., and Google and IBM wanted a list of critical open-source projects. While both companies have been among the best corporate supporters and funders of open-source, that list really should be put straight into their respective accounting systems and sufficient payments made each month. Unfortunately, the Times at the intersection of Open Source Avenue and Cybersecurity Way, we have a sense of repetition. And yeah, so, <laughs> and it reminds us also in this article, uh, it was almost eight years ago today uh, during the Heartbleed flaw, which we all remember, that OpenSSL said it was time for major users to stump up and help fund projects. At that time, OpenSSL had one full-time employee and an outpouring of donations in the week afterward had netted a mere $9,000. OpenSSL would eventually get some funding from the Core Infrastructure Initiative, which would be superseded by the Open Source Security Foundation. But I doubt either of these two organizations would have considered Node.js module or Java logging framework as critical infrastructure worthy of funding and auditing. (laughs) So anyway, this is from ZDNet. This is one of the few articles in ZDNet I appreciate. Uh, Yeah, it's very true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So lots of stuff about vulnerabilities. Were you, were you on a rant about security, <laughs> or was uh, it well, just like what my, was coming uh, up? Apparently, my my news news feed notifications were. <laughs> it's like I uh, I picked these stories and just threw them into uh, you know keep notes or whatever, and uh, just strange that they were very similar. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. We all need to be worried about security, and you know ne- don't necessarily have to think about all these things in our day to day lives, but it's nice to be aware that they exist and flaws and vulnerabilities can affect anyone or anything, especially now that your light bulbs are hacking Bitcoin. So, yeah, yeah. Just give me a cut. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> just, just give me one Bitcoin. That's all I need. Just yeah. one. Not point oh 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 four three one six three seven one, which is like what my current portfolio is. So, all right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Linux in the ham shack. And I'm going to do the second story because it doesn't have any notes and it's sort of me that's that's talking about it. So so I'll go ahead and let Bill take care of the first one. Sure. Yeah, I just saw this on the uh, Discord channel from uh, the SDR++ folks, uh, Rise Earth or you know, his his handle (laughs) announced that, uh, hey, everyone, quite a large change is coming to the code in order to drop the need for glue, that's G-L-E-W, and update the IMGUI for better performance in theory. Uh, Therefore, I'm in need of beta testers for this specific new build. Please compare performance and stability. I'm looking to check if it runs correctly on all supported platforms. So ping me in dev if there's any issues. So uh, if you're not part of the SDR++ community over there on Discord, uh, go and join up and check out the nightly build that he has uh, doing this stuff and see how well it runs. Uh, I have not loaded it on my Linux computer at home because my dongle is here. (laughs) So uh, please test. Please test if you can. That would be awesome. And uh, send feedback uh, to the group because, yeah, that's a constantly improving program. And SDR++ is still very lightweight, very lightweight. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I need to, now that I've got that new, well, new old iMac up and running, I want to build SDR++ on there and and connect my, my new uh, RTL SDR into it, see how that goes. I'm actually thinking of using that iMac in place of my current Shack PC because it will take up a little less desk space, and I could then free up a uh, more recent computer for some other functionality. So Cool. I mean, with the... 
with the SSD that I put in it yesterday. Um, yeah, the thing thing's pretty rocking considering it's a 2008 vintage iMac. <laughs> <laughs> it's running impish and doing really well. So I'm digging it and hopefully it like, hopefully I don't swap over and it like explodes the next day or something. <laughs> um, take, taking the thing apart and looking at how those, how they were put together, uh, all in one IMAX, um, that their yeah. stuff is like crammed everywhere. Well, yeah, you should take apart one of the new IMAX or the board is just like barely, uh, <laughs> bigger than the chin. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll like I'll nothing pass. in there now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're paying for plastic. Yeah, well, you got to do what you got to do. So I didn't have anything else to contribute as far as stories found from the internet for our Linux in the Hamshack segment, but I have been sort of excitedly working with Python again for the first time in an age because one of our listeners, Mike K6GTE, and, and one of our supporters, actually, Mike, has a couple of projects that he's working on. His GitHub account has several things in there. And one of them was a new version of a winter field day contest logger that he's building. But he had a he had a prior version of it, which is based on N curses. So it runs in a terminal window as opposed to the newer one, which is graphical based. And I, I kind of took to the older one a little bit better because it had some features that I needed, like rig control. Now he said he's he's uh, gone ahead and started to put rig control like Hamlib back into the newer one but i still kind of like the older one and so i started making some changes to it and updates and fixes that i saw things that i wanted to look different and it, it basically got me back into programming in python which i haven't done in forever but it sort of came back like riding a bicycle which is really nice and then it led to well, this is already an existing project, so how do I contribute to the project and become an open source developer and all that kind of stuff? And then I had to start doing all of those things that we you hear us talk about, but I've never actually done, like forking a repo and creating branches and doing updates and commits and then pull requests and blah, blah, blah. And so I had to learn all of that stuff. And in the last, I don't know, 36 hours or so, I've gotten to the point where I, I did... Uh, a whole bunch of code, a whole bunch of commits, uh, a refork, learned how to learned how to do how to fix it when you actually do all the commits to the existing branch rather rather than forking into a new repo first, um, which was fun uh, to to actually <laughs> get all the commits committed to the fork so that I could actually do a pull request instead of trying to upload to the the original master which is uh sort of a no-no because you don't want to be screwing with the original code unless you are the original developer or you have uh you have right access to the repo which of course i don't got all that stuff figured out made the the python and curses based logger a lot better there's a lot more work to do um, because i've done things like manipulate the database schema and there has to be a way to migrate if you're going to update uh, because there's new columns and things and it's based on SQLite, so it's not that big a deal, but you, there's going to have to be a script to do an update to insert the, the missing fields and all that. So so basically, I have just been having a ball with Python. The only thing I hate, and if somebody has an answer for this, Bill, I'm looking at you, <laughs> or one of our listeners, one, one of the things that I've uh, seen is that the original code from the original repo is all, and if you're not familiar with Python, Python has 
it identifies blocks by indentation as opposed to other languages which like put like parentheses or brackets or braces or something around blocks to identify them but but python is uh textually you know uh indentation is texturally or uh programmatically uh significant yeah white space is significant yes right which is not a problem the the only problem is my editor is making what are four space tabs in the original code into four spaces so mm. i have to fix that every time which is a pain in the ass <laughs> <laughs> and I know there must be a way in, in Vi or Vim to make it so that if you're yeah. it, because it because it tries to ferret out what kind of code you're doing. And so I'm I'm sure it's aware that I'm doing Python, but I need to make it so that when I press tab, it's a tab. Mm-hmm. It's a four space tab, not a not four spaces. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how to do that. Yeah, that's a Vim setting. Uh, I would just would just suggest you just if you're going to start coding with Vim. Just because it's, uh, well, I'm not going to say anything negative. I would just go ahead and get awesome, <laughs> awesome Vim set up. So your Vim acts more like a IDE and it has okay. all the, the nice stuff that you actually need it to work. And it'll actually have that in the config. But it's just a simple config setting that uh, uh, changes the your tab to, uh, you know, five, four spaces or two spaces or whatever. And uh, awesome Vim sort of takes care of that and also does the language detection. So it ensures that, uh, you know, if you're in Ruby, it tries to do ooh because that's how their styling works and, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, there's a lot of nuances and stuff like that out there in different languages. But um, yeah, it's a simple set command in your VimRC that that you need to, for that particular thing. Um, but I highly just recommend Awesome Vim because <laughs> it okay. works out so well. <laughs> well, I will do that. I've been I've been coding in like PHP most of the time, and it sort of understands exactly what I'm doing and does it without having without having to prig with settings inside of Vim. But yeah, you'll probably like this better for PHP as well. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I, I'll definitely check it out because now that I'm, I'm going to start doing a lot more Python, uh, just because I remember how kind of awesome it is now. Uh, um, I, the there's a few syntactic things and a few structures that I have to sort of re-embrace, like uh, the try the try accept and stuff like that, which is not a thing in PHP, and it does a lot. It it's sort of a a huge focus of Python, uh, how how a lot of things work. Uh, using try accept and um so so i'm getting back into it i'm I'm doing i feel like i'm doing well i feel like my code is good i i actually was able to strip out a bunch of redundant code in the the field day logger that i've been working on and replace it with like a method you know uh a method and a call to the method so that so that all that redundant code has been is removed and stuff like that along with my updates so yeah, and I want to correct myself. It's ultimate Vim. Sorry, <laughs> ultimate not, not Vim. Awesome Vim, not awesome Vim. Yeah, Maybe you should yeah. fork so, it and uh, create I, awesome Vim. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, somebody made a domain for that. That's that'll, I just don't want to confuse people. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so that's the one I use here that I linked into the live show, and we'll just also include it in the show notes under your topic. All right, very good. So there, so those winter field day Python logger does exist. Mike's version is still out there. Uh, Kasich GT, you can find it on GitHub. You can find my version under JR Woodman links, of course, to be in the show notes. And if, uh, he accepts my pull request, it'll actually be in the main repo too. So we'll see how that goes. Um, but if not, you can always, you can always, uh, play around with my fork as well if you want to. And if you want to try and use it for winter field day, which I'm going to do, 
uh, then maybe we'll we'll catch up with you on the air and make a contact. That's uh, next weekend. So keep it in mind. All right. I think that's all I had to say about that. Yeah. And you should really graduate to VS Code, but that's okay. <laughs> VS Code? Like for, for VS an ID? Code, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You'll you'll thank me later. Uh, another freaking thing to debug learn. your code. I, I've, literally been, I've literally been relearning or re-engaging in Python for the last 36 hours after maybe 15 years of not doing Python. So <laughs> the last thing I need is to, to figure out a new IDE right now. Yeah, it's like an ed- it's just a super editor, but it comes along with the, all the, the whistles and bells. Okay, well, I- I'll look at it. <laughs> <laughs> you you will thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> but in six months when I stop cursing you? Yeah, yeah, and it has all the Git stuff built in, too, so it makes it pretty easy to do everything sort of in one place, and it also exposes a terminal and everything else, and you can run and debug and have breakpoints and test your code and yeah, it's, it's just functionally easier. Just, it just is. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Sorry, Vim people. I love Vim. I'm a Vim user myself. Yeah, me too, obviously. And, uh, I, I sort of been digging the whole GitHub thing, at least as far as the, you know, forking, branching, updating, pulling all, all that stuff. It's, it's more intuitive, I guess, than I thought it would be. So I'm happy about that. The only thing that was kind of a, a short term stumper was the, was the, um, uh, key the key authentication api stuff oh yeah yeah but not not overall a big deal <laughs> if i'm pushing vs code no more trashing emacs thanks john <laughs> yeah i understand i understand i understand but uh yeah <laughs> just speaking professionally <laughs> it's uh saved me a lot of time and headaches i'm sure yeah, you can do it all in Emacs because, you know, Emacs isn't an operating system on a, on its own. But I don't think I can install that on my company laptop. <laughs> <laughs> Take up too much space. The hard drive not big enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to get another terabyte or two SSD for that. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. Anyway, enough about that. That was probably deeper than we needed to get into. But I've, I've just been excited like really excited about programming for the first time in a while so and it it just brought me back to the first time that i tried to learn python and i was like i wasn't even sure what object oriented meant at the time so uh, i i feel like i've come a long way anyway let's go ahead and move on to our social media roundups we'll bring cheryl back in here and she can uh, tell us who's supporting the show and i don't have facebook we we do have several new people who have joined us on facebook but when I go to the notifications to see who those people are, it brings me to an analytics page and I can't actually see who the people are that have joined. So once I figure that out, I will bring those people online and we can do that for the next social media roundup. But for now, we'll have to skip it because Facebook is being douchey. So anyway, who's in our social media roundup? Well, for this week, we have for our patrons. We have Reginald Addo, William Large, Steve Annis, Andy Cowley, Gary Tibbetts, David Scarf, David Slaughter, Jim Lawson, Patrick Eng, Danglis, Danglis, Douglas Shock, Eric Guth, Brandon Rosek, Michael Burdak, John Spriggs, Robert Lewis, Robert Bitts, David Jakeway, Darren King, Cubicle Nate, Samuel Vimes, PDK, wow, I need to start over again. Peter Caffrey, Don Rhodes, Paul Griffith, Jonas Ruler, Donald Gever, Herb Garcia, Steve Metcalf, William Heckelman, Randolph Smith, and Andy Webster. 
For our subscriptions, we have Vincent Martin, Bob Alberg, Paul Mooney, Craig Kreisen, Chris DeLuca, Eric Muller, Carl Backus, Isaac Gear, Thomas Foy, Michael Burdak, Kevin Ivey, Tony Coberly, Ronald Ike, Johnny Kinsey, Fred Cole, Bill Piotr, Robert Halliday, Wayne Hale, John Clark, Steve Hepler, Michael Jobling, Howard Dittmer, Todd Bowers, Michael Carey, A. Taylor, Dylan Engel, Jim McKenzie, Bill Collins, Robert Black, Darren King, Randolph Smith, Robert Yerke, Steve Biella, Alan Wilson, Mark Farrell, and Jeff Zimmerman. Again, we'll we'll get to Facebook hopefully next time. Uh, Twitter, we have at ARDC underscore 73, at W1CRB, and at Fast Forward FWD to the end. We have YouTube for, we have Andreas Patinas, Ken Forbes, The Nord 37, Charles B. Steenbergen, and Caitlin Walters. On Discord, we have Praetorian underscore J, Theoretical, Kaz, and KD8SEP Trevor. No mailing list people, no merchandise sales. Yep, that's sort of the way of it, but uh, I'm, I'm working on the mailing list again. I'm, I'm trying to do a different way. I was going to use MailChimp, but that's only one direction. And so I'm thinking about actually going with groups.io, but it's not free. So I have to think about whether I want to bother with that or, or try and do something with Mailman again or, or some other mailing list thing that's self-hosted. I don't know. I, I still have to mess around with that, but one of these days I'll get a solution. But with that being said, I was going to say, I was going to say group groups. IO isn't free anymore. It's free for a certain number of subscribers, uh, which we have more than. Yeah. It's so, kind of like uh, MailChimp too. Like if it's like hard stop at a 1500 or something like that, emails a month for the free tier. So right. Like but more we than 1500 accounts. Right. We fit well inside the free tier for MailChimp, but we don't for groups.io. So, mm. but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It may, may be cost-effective. It may not. I just uh, don't have enough time to mess with a mailing list server on my own anymore. And the one I tried to build has problems. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have one that I, that like DreamHost gives me, basically. <laughs> if I one-click install for uh, mail list servers, which is awesome. Yeah, so, I might, might consider doing that inside of my existing uh, droplet. It might be worth trying. So. I don't know how DigitalOcean does for that kind of thing, but yeah, I'm not sure about that. I haven't done them yet for that. All right. Well, that brings us down to the end of the show. So we want to thank everybody for, for tuning in and for joining us in the live stream, which we actually had some folks here on a Sunday afternoon in the United States. We had John K1BTZ, Steve KA7HVT, and Fred N2NRV. So thanks, everybody, for being here. And thanks, everybody, for listening and being a supporter of the show. And and keeping with us as we sort of move around our recording schedule and sort of try and accommodate all the things that life throws at us on a daily basis. We really appreciate it. And uh, with that, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. And we hope you'll join us for the next one, which will be a weekender. It'll be a lot of fun. And we hope you're here for that. This has been episode number 449 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The show is recorded live every Thursday at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at one nine oh nine LHS show. That's one nine oh nine five four seven seven four six nine. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism. <laughs>